Hello, Pamela Joyce here. And before you start your next Today FM podcast, we've got some helpful info with thanks to our friends over at the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, or the CCPC. You'll need to keep this in mind if you're on the lookout for a new bank. If you're like me and you've thought about switching your current account, you have two options once you find a new bank. Under the central bank switching code, you can ask your new bank to manage the change for you, or you have the good old DIY way where you make a list of all your regular payments and then manually move over all your direct debits. While of course there is still some work involved in switching, it's never been easier to see what current account options are out there. That's because the CCPC has a current account money tool that does all the hard work for you by providing you with all the information you need to quickly compare different current accounts from different providers. And it's completely independent, free and easy to use. So find your new current account now at ccpc.ie forward slash move. Now, here's your podcast. The last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. So it's time for the Culture Club here on The Last Word in Today FM. I'm delighted today we are joined by the co-creator and writer of Father Ted, also a man who was co-writer of the musical Aikino. He's made the sitcoms Paris, Toast of London and Hippies. His books include Well Remembered Days, Ono Kellogg's memoir of a 20th century Catholic life. And the last time I think we met him, when he was in studio with Declan Lynch, they had co-written Notes from a Lost Tribe, the poor old fellas. Well, Arthur Matthews is back and he has a new book, The Cummings Files. <clears throat> so before we talk about his selections for the Culture Club, I'm going to ask him about that book. Arthur, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us about The Cummings Files. Well, um, The Cummings Files, uh, I did a book last year for Faber and Louisa Joyner and Faber rang me up and said, do you want to do some kind of book on Dominic Cummings? And this was in January. So I said, well, yeah, some kind of bogus diary or something. And I said, well, I'm not sure there's enough to go on. But then in March, if you remember, he legged it off to Northumberland uh, to get away from COVID, (laughs) despite being in charge of the kind of government um, regulations. So uh, that made a bit of a splash when he went to Castle Barnard. So I thought, yeah, maybe there is enough for the book. So then, yeah, I did the book during the summer. So it's just out a few uh, last week, I think. Yeah. Okay, but what sort of book is it? I mean, you, have you it's, imagined yourself in the in the mind of Dominic Cummings? Heaven help us I am, that. I am in the mind of Dominic Cummings, yes, for the book. It's, it's a kind of diary and he does a lot of blog posts. So it's kind of blog posts and there's loads of doodles and illustrations in it. Um, oh, it's a lot about COVID, and uh, yeah, I mean, I am obviously not Dominic Cummings, but I'm for the purposes of this book, I am supposed to be Dominic Cummings. So, is he the Machiavellian monster that we take him to be, or do you turn him into a somewhat ridiculous character? I turn him into a somewhat ridiculous character. I think, to be honest, I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to research Cummings. You can read his blogs, but they're pretty. You know, they're pretty tough going, I think. I don't know. I don't know what Cummings is like. I have no idea. I, I just, I made up this version of him, which is kind of familiar from comedy. It's kind of the power behind the throne. There's elements of um, the thick of it and yes, minister in it, you know. Um, I don't know what Cummings is like. I mean, I, I think what's most interesting about him is how people just loathe him and, and um, the mere mention of his name, like Trump. 
or even Boris Johnson kind of sends people into a, a fit. So that's yeah, kind of might, interesting. There might be an image of him because of that uh, thing. What was it? Uh, very. What was the program that he was played by Benedict Cumberbatch? And oh yeah, the Brexit the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Brexit yeah. one. But I think for me, the image of him always is going to be, and I like him at the time, he had a look at the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang about him <laughs> as he ran out of the back of 10 Downing Street. Remember that? He had a sort of his satchel over his back. Do, yeah, and he, yeah. scurried, always, he scurried out to run away, you know? He scurried out. He always has a kind of satchel on his back and um, he does look around himself furtively. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He's enigmatic. There's someone, someone like, I don't know, Tom Bauer, who's, who's done the recent... Boris biography, he might have a go at him, but um, yeah, I've no. It's just you know, it's just silliness, really. The book, but good fun. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing that. Anyway, listen, thank you for joining us for the Culture Club and making your selection. And I'm going to start with music. And the thing that we always ask all of our guests to do is to nominate the first single they'll ever admit to having purchased. What's yours? Well. Um, well, I must say that I, we didn't get a record player until we were 18. That's me and my twin sister. For some reason, we had this really crappy tape recorder that was just, you just stick a cassette in and tape stuff off Top of the Pops or whatever. So I was only I was only 18. I, I was 18 when we got a record player. But I did buy, that was summer of 1977, so I did buy Sex Pistols' Pretty Vacant single. And... But I, I remember around that time, but I also had like um, Stranglers, No More Heroes, but also things like um, Smokey, um, Needles and Pins by Smokey. And I had the Carpenter's Greatest Hits album, but then the Buzzcocks album. So although... That, that's an eclectic mix, all right, isn't it? It is very eclectic, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the punk thing. When I saw the Sex Pistols, without even hearing them, I thought, they look kind of funny. And then I heard Pretty Vacant, which was the first song I heard by them. And it it, it literally blew me away. Well, not literally. Let's hear but... a bit of it. Pistols, pretty vacant. Given the amount of musical choices you've given us, I'm surprised to hear that you didn't get a record player until you were 18. Yeah. Does that suggest uh, deprivation yeah. in your household, Arthur? <laughs> no, I don't know what what it's. Uh, well, we, well, myself, my sister, had no money because we were at school. But I don't know. I don't know what was what it was it with my parents. I don't know. Maybe they hated us. I, I don't really know. But anyway, we had a terribly cheap cassette player. Uh, cassette player actually not even a tape recorder but yeah so yeah it was it was terrible that i didn't have a record prayer till i was 18 but when i heard that song it 
almost blew me away and it's still just to hear it there again it's just so exciting it's it's brilliant i love it now you've nominated as your favorite album donald bird places and spaces tell us about that well i could have nominated like you know i don't really have an absolute favorite album but i've loads of albums i like but that's more that's kind of jazzy bit of solely stuff that i've been listening to recently because um I know someone called Eddie Pillar through Matt Berry, who is an actor who I do Toast of London with. And Eddie's like a DJ in London and his mother ran the Small Faces fan club. And he's a DJ and he runs this radio station called TWR. So he's really, it's the real mod scene. So the last three or four years, I've been listening to a hell of a lot of soul and jazz and that Donald Bird album is really good. It's, it's, um, it's a mixture, really, of, of jazz, soul. But that's more the kind of thing I've been listening to recently, after listening to lots of guitar bands for, like, years and years and years. In fact, I heard Kevin Barry on this, doing this, and he um, he was a big fan of the Smiths and Dexys, and that's... I really kind of hated the 80s music generally, but I, they were the kind of bands I liked in the 80s. I mean, I love the, the late the 70s, and uh, but I don't know. I was twenty in nineteen eighty, so I should have liked the eighties. But I really, I thought it was pretty bad. But only recently, it's mostly soul and jazz kind of stuff I've been listening to. Well, let's hear a little bit of a Donald Bird. This is Dominoes. What type of music you have on in the background when you're working if you're writing Toast of London or something like that, Arthur? No, I don't. I can't write uh, if there's music in the background. But I've been doing a lot of painting uh, over the last few years. So when I'm painting, I listen to that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah, or any kind of music, really. But no, if I write, I just can't listen to anything. I have to complete silence. But I'd say, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I have to have silence when I'm writing. Band, you mentioned the Smiths, you also have the Beatles done, so which is it? Which era do you relate more to, the Smiths or the Beatles? Well, I, I relate more to the Smiths, really, because that was, they were just, I was the exact contemporaries of the Smiths, really, and, uh, you know, all, you know, all Morrissey, uh, Kevin Barry mentioned this as well. I actually did see the Smiths twice, and uh, I saw them in Dundalk, actually, and then I saw them in Dublin, and, uh, I, you know, because they weren't a very rhythmic band, I didn't think they were the best band I've seen live. But I listened to Smiths a lot. But recently, I mean, at the Beatles, there's like a, I'd watch anything about the Beatles on TV. There was one documentary I watched last night about Apple 
and what happened in Apple and what a dreadful mess it was. So I don't know. And Lennon, Lennon would have been eighty recently, and um, so I listened to a lot of documentaries about Lennon. He re- he recorded um, a song called something like Ireland, something to do with Ireland for the Irish or something. That's which right. Actually, yeah. Yeah, but did you know the Wolf Tones did a cover version of it? Oh, the Wolf Tones cover version of John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, but they actually because it was so incendiary, they actually had to t- tone down the lyrics of it when they did the cover version of it. So I checked it out. It's on one of the um, the uh, albums with Yoko. So uh, yeah, but no, I love the Beatles. I mean, everyone loves the Beatles, don't they? They're um, they were incredible. But the bit of music we actually have is from the Smiths. This is this. Yeah, yeah. Man. Great. stuff but do you think Arthur Matthews is a follow-up to the Dominic Cummings book you could maybe turn your attention to a Morrissey style book <laughs> well yes I did read Morrissey's um autobiography a few years ago yeah I don't know what did um, you make of that uh god I can't remember too much about um I don't know I don't know. Because he has some I, I very to... odd political views these days, which probably would even be to the extreme of your your mate Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson and that ilk. Well, I don't know. Morrissey has always gone his own way. Um, I mean, I remember reading interviews with him, but, but early days with the Smiths, and he did seem to change even before you know he even before the Smiths broke up there was you know lots of rumors of him not turning up for for tours and that i suppose he just changed a lot and fame you know fame changes people but like at, at, at the core of morris he, he he had great insight into things and uh you know he was adored by his fans absolutely now you're big into gigs clearly you mentioned having seen the smiths a couple of times but we asked you for the best gig you were at and you mentioned a load of 1980s gigs in Dublin pubs with the likes of Gordon yeah. Horde, The Blades, Something Happens. Well, they were more, I thought, I always think music is better in smaller venues, so I just enjoyed them a lot more. Um, but there was, like, I remember 78, about September, October 78, like I saw the remote, all in Dublin, the Ramones, uh, the Clash, the Stranglers, the Jam, the Buzzcocks within a month and a half of each other. Well, I just preferred going to small gigs and pubs, and I still do. And um, this friend of mine, Susanna Derrickson, who used to do lovely shows and clubs where she do a um, tribute to Blossom Deary and a tribute to um, Peggy Lee, and just small, intimate gigs. And uh, 
Hank Wankford I used to love. He used to come over, kind of, you know, country, mock country. They were just tremendous fun. John Otway. They were just tremendous fun. Where the, the more serious bands, they were, they were good, but I didn't like the big venues, and I, don't, I never liked going to open-air, you know, pop concerts. I just like something small and raucous and... The smaller the venue, the more I like. Although, I mean, I haven't made gigs in ages. I, I did have a thing about, over the last few years, having a rule, I'd only go and see people who are over 65 years of age. Why? So I did... I don't know, it just... I don't know, I just... So I finally... I, I went to see Elton John, because I've always liked Elton. I went to see Fleetwood Mac, even though I'm not a huge fan of Fleetwood Mac. I don't know, it's just... I find it kind of reassuring or something. You know, there used to be all going to gigs. Gigs used to be about being kind of hip and cool and and whatever was happening. But obviously, I'm I'm what I'm way pay, past that now. So yeah, I think actually I think I'll revise it. It's just going to see people who are over seventy. I think that'd be even better. <laughs> Maybe eighty. I did see the Rolling Stones in Croke Park, and well, you know, they were there. You know, I saw them on the giant screen. They were tiny figures. But you do go and think, oh, my God, that's actually Mick Jagger there. And, wow, that's Charlie Watts. But, yeah, no, really. I, I um, The smaller the gig, the more I like it. Okay, well, as we have one of those 1980s gigs, here's an extract from Something Happens playing live. Something Happens in Action, one of the favourite gigs remembered by Arthur Matthews, who's our guest on the Culture Club this evening. Now, you mentioned earlier on the Beatles and your love of the Beatles, and we asked you for favourite books, and you actually mentioned a book by an author who was on the programme only recently talking about it. Uh, You like Craig Brown's writing. Uh, Tell us about his book, One, Two, Three, Four, which he spoke to us about. Why do you like it so much? Um, Well, it's... It's full of just anecdotes about the Beatles, really. Um, um, just slightly off, you know, not, obviously there's the well-known stuff about them, but just lots of little anecdotal stuff about them. Like Paul, Paul McCartney, who comes out of it very well, like on some lovely summer's day in 1968, he was coming back from the north of England with a few of his friends, and they just decided to go to a, a village and hang out in the village and... Um, go to the local pub. And then when the pub closed, uh, someone in the village said, you want to come back to my place? So McCartney went back to his place, played the guitar that was lying around, uh, sang with the kids, and then headed back to London. And the next day he sent the guy who looked after him in the village, he sent him two bottles of champagne and and said, uh, thanks, I had a lovely day. So it's full of those little stories. 
Although I have to say, um, Yoko Ono doesn't come out of it particularly well. But apart from that. We actually have part of the audio extract from the book. I believe that I have to give a language warning for some reason on this. But here's a little bit of the audio of Craig Bond's biography of the Beatles. Other groups had a front man. Your favourite was pre-selected for you. No one would ever pick Hank Marvin over Cliff Richard, say, or Mike Smith over Dave Clark. But with the Beatles, there was a choice. So you had to pick a favourite. And the one you picked said a lot about who you were. For their American fan, Carolyn C., there was Paul for those who preferred androgynous beauty, John for those who prized intellect and wit, George because he possessed that ineffable something we would later recognize as spiritual life, and Ringo, patron saint of fuck-ups the world over. In Liverpool, the 12-year-old Linda Grant favoured Ringo for reasons that are beyond me. There was, she recalls, a real goody two-shoes at school who liked Paul. George seemed a bit nothing. John seemed off-limits, too intimidating. Ringo was the beetle for girls who lacked ambition. Picking him as your favourite suggested a touch of realism. It went without saying that the others were already taken, but you might just stand an outside chance with the drummer. Who is your beetle, so Arthur Matthews? Uh, McCartney. I like McCartney. Actually, there's a story in the book talking about Ringo. He about 1961, he decided to emigrate to America, and like he kind of almost lined up a job. So, but then he he realised he had to fill in loads and loads of forms. So he just didn't. He wasn't bothered. He gave up. So <laughs> that's why he didn't go to America, and that's how he was around to join the Beatles. So it's full of those little stories, which are brilliant. You also like other Craig Brown books, do you? Yeah, I read the one. I read actually two more. He, the Princess Margaret one is really very good. Again, just loads of anecdotes about her and the Queen, obviously, Queen Mother, um, Tony Armstrong Jones, uh, Prince Philip. Armstrong Jones, her husband, he's a bit of a rogue, really. But yeah, it's just, it's just you know, just lots of, you know, he, Princess Margaret famously once. Uh, she, she had some accident in her house in the Caribbean and she scalded herself very badly. So she came back to London and she was in a lift with uh, the Queen, the Queen Mother. And the door, they get to their whatever floor they're going to and the, and the door opens and print, there's a wheelchair waiting. And Princess Margaret immediately just leaps at the wheelchair and the Queen says to her, No, no, Margaret, that's for Mummy. So there's, there's lots of those kind of stories. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Uh, television. I don't think it's any surprise to discover that Monty Python is, uh, given your love of the absurd, Monty Python is high up on your list of favorite TV shows. Uh, yeah, and I, I've been watching because they're all on Netflix. So I've been watching all. I'm trying to. I'm getting through all of them. I'm on, on the last episode of the second series from 1970, and I remember. I remember watching it with my father in 1969-70. And my father was very old. He was born in 1903. But I think he, he quite liked... I remember watching it with him. It's a, it's a childhood memory. I even remember the sketch. It's about Blamange invading the tennis championships at Wimbledon. And I saw... I saw Because I'm looking at, at the episodes again, I actually saw that 
that sketch again. I probably haven't seen it since 1970. But um, yeah, I, mean, I love Cleese particularly. I think there's, there's very much Cleese is the best, then Palin and Eric Idle. And how well and then, does the stuff stand up, do you think? What is it now, 50 well, years well, old? You know, watching that? Well, everyone remembers the good stuff, like the parrot sketch and the fish slapping dance and those things. But I, I know myself, it's really hard to generate consistent material for sketch shows. And they had, most of those series, there were 13 episodes in, in them. So that's really tough to, to you know, be consistent. But... You know, at their best, they're really good, and they, they were—they are—they are like the Beatles of comedy, really, and they influence so many people. And uh, please, please would be one of my all-time comedy heroes. I think he's amazing. You also have nominated a documentary that's available on Netflix at the moment, which I've actually bookmarked myself to watch. Oh yeah, so let's, yeah. Let's just actually get a clip of it before you tell us about why you like so much Bobby Kennedy for president. My father was at the Ambassador Hotel. He was one of the first doctors to get to Senator Kennedy. They were a master flood and he had head injuries. The extent of them could not be ascertained immediately. He said, I, I got to him, I checked him out, I made him comfortable. There was nothing else I could do. Was he fully conscious, doctor? No. There's a spokesman now, Frank Mankiewicz, the senator's press secretary. Team of uh, six neurosurgeons uh, uh, will start to uh, operate Louder. on Senator Kennedy in about five or ten minutes. Breathing is uh, good and, un and, and unassisted. Uh, his heart is good. Uh, He's unconscious, and the doctors describe his condition as very critical. Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today, June 6, 1968. Okay, Arthur Matthews, what is so good about the series Bobby Kennedy for President? Well, it's a really well-made documentary. I mean, that was June 68, he, he was killed. And I, I do remember, I was living in Russia at the time, and I actually remember seeing the front page of the Irish Times with that famous photograph of him lying on the floor. And so that was, I remember Kennedy from that time. But he, he was, he just went from someone who was quite conservative, really, to, he went in a real, um, I don't like that word, but he went on a journey and became just very compassionate. He, did, he, did, he really did care about people and he was just a very good man. And like he, I read a few books about him since seeing the series and like he used to go on the famous campaign trail in 68 when he was looking for the Democratic nomination. He'd visit Indian reservations and people would tell him, well, there's no, there's no votes. Those people don't vote. You're wasting your time. But because he had compassion, he used to do things like that, which weren't necessarily going to make him popular with the, you know, the Democratic audience or potential voters. But you know, he did really. He was just a very good person, and it was it was just a real tragedy that that he died. It was, it was just um, history could have been very very different. 
You also have on your list Ken Burns' Civil War documentary series. What's that? Uh, it's the American Civil War, which was made in 1990. Uh, it's astonishing. I think that's, well, you can probably stream it somewhere now. And like, there's no, um, there's no movie footage in it because it's before a lot. There's lots of photographs. And there's very poignant images of the veterans, like when the early movie cameras were around. They were in their 70s and they have all these reunions that they used to have. So the last one would have been sometime in the 1930s. It's just a really well-made documentary and, and uh, it's slow moving. There's, there's someone called Shelby Foote in it, who's a kind of old time Southern uh, historian. And he's just incredibly articulate and charismatic. It's just, I don't think they'd make, I don't think they could even make it now really because, because it's it's not sympathetic to the Confederate cause, but it's um, it's it was made before a time when uh, you could probably um, be a bit more. I don't know. What I'm trying to say uh, it's 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 just very good summing up of the Civil War. While okay. I mean, it absolutely makes the case about slavery being the cause of it. But it's it's um, it's just it's just really well made documentary. It's just really really good. Okay, we're almost out of time, so I'm not going to get a chance to talk to you about your favorite podcast, which I believe is Godless Spellchecker, or Blocked and Reported, or your favorite musical, which is Calamity Jane. But I do need you to finish up by explaining. We asked you to nominate your favorite movie, and you said anything on Talking Pictures TV. <laughs> what? What is that? Talking Pictures TV is a, um, a TV channel and it's just got loads of old films and old TV shows. I'm watching Budgie from 1971, 72. Um, uh, it's one called Public Eye, which I remember as a kid. It's just very, um, what can I say? It's just really nostalgic. There's just lots of odd old films, um, mostly starring Anthony Newley, actually, if you remember him. Uh, mostly British films, a lot of kind of B movies, um, kind of very obscure documentaries. It's just completely unmodern, uh, which is why I kind of like it. We have to finish there. It's been great having you on the Culture Club here on the Last Word of Today FM. Arthur Matthews, thank you very much for joining us. Really looking forward to seeing your new book, The Cummings Files. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Listen live on air from 4.30 weekdays on Today FM.